We're off to a good start. Um, you know, a couple of us got through without tears. Hopefully that uh, I can join uh, getting through. But if I do, it'll have to be the Holy Spirit. Amen? You know, today we're going to talk about being one in Christ. Uh, last week we talked about being made alive in Christ. Talking about being made alive because we realized as we looked at the passage here last week in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, that because of our sin, we were dead in Christ. Because of our sinful nature, we needed to be made alive. And then we go on in, in verse 11 through 18 today, and we talk about being one in Christ. And, uh, you know, in, in today's society, it's really hard for anyone to be completely unified on anything, especially in an election year, right? <laughs> And, and, you know, you talk to different people, and you got people jumping all over the place now. Even people who used to be Republicans are saying, you know, I think I might be a Democrat. Or, you know, if they were a Democrat, I'm a Republican. And I've never seen such confusion in politics ever in my life. So the concept of, of one is a pretty special concept. It's something that is unique and something that we get to experience as we follow Christ. And so today the title of the lesson is One in Christ. Let's go ahead and pray and then let's get into it. God, I want to thank you, God. It's so encouraging to be able to be together to worship you. Or we know that uh, you have given our life meaning and purpose. And uh, that you have brought all of us together from all different backgrounds to be one. God, to be completely unified as we follow you. And we know without you, that is literally impossible. And so we are grateful that we get a chance to be a part of your church. That we get a chance to be a part of your body. That we get a chance to follow you. And we are grateful that you have reconciled us to you. That you made us alive in Christ. God, open up our eyes today to see how we need to be one in Christ. We love you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In Ephesians chapter 2... Verse 11 through 18, the Bible reads, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. And so today we're going to stop right here, and uh, we'll pick up the rest next week. But, but just to give you a quick background here in Ephesians 2, in the church in Ephesus, there was a group of Christians that were came from a Jewish background. They were Jewish Christians, and they had been converted to Christianity. Then there was the non-Jew, or the Gentiles, like you and I, right? 
For the Jews on the eighth day, every Jewish boy was, was circumcised, and it was a mark of your commitment to God. Growing up Jewish, you were taught you could not be God's people unless you were willing to be circumcised. The Jews called the Gentiles the uncircumcision group. This was the first of many, 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 many divisions between the Jews and the Gentiles. And if you can imagine a church that is bringing two people who are on completely polar opposite ends, bringing them together, what a huge task this would be. Historically, the Jews had an immense contempt for the Gentiles, believing in no uncertain terms that they were God's chosen people. The Jewish people would often say that the Gentiles were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. In fact, it was not even lawful for a Jew to help a Gentile woman in childbirth because that would be, well, helping bring another Gentile into this world. Pretty intense, right? The barrier between Jew and Gentile was so absolute that if a Jew married a Gentile, the Jewish family would actually hold a funeral for their son or daughter as though they had already died. This was how deep the prejudice and the hatred was in their culture. Now imagine, you know, you're Paul, you're trying to lead the church in Ephesus, and you're bringing two completely different people together. This was a monumental task. And he knew the only way this could happen is if they were one in Christ. In this passage of Ephesians, Paul speaks to the barriers that separated Jews from Gentiles and ultimately how God had broken down the seemingly unscalable walls so they too could experience what was likely, what it was like to be chosen. Remember we've been talking about being chosen, right? They could experience what it was like to be God's people. They could experience what it was like to have peace with God. You see, he just wanted them on every turn, at every corner, to understand that they should be one in Christ. The truth is, when Jesus came, the barriers were built high for both the Jews and the Gentiles. It's just the Gentiles could clearly see it. They knew their life was messed up, right? They knew, like, I, I have no... I have no real connection to God. I'm just so far gone. I don't even pretend like I do. And then there were Jews who could not see themselves clearly. And reluctantly, the walls that were separating them from the love of Jesus were, were just, it was a constant fight. They could not see it clearly. They had, but, but I had this history of being Jewish. And I've, I've been God's chosen people. I've been part of this for hundreds of thousands of years. How could you say that I am not okay with God. That must have been extremely difficult for them. You're saying I could believe in Jesus to be saved? No, no, no. no. You don't understand. I'm God's chosen people. It was hard for them. But the Gentiles could see clearly. You know, they were receptive to God's plan and the purpose for their life. You know, this past week, it has been very inspiring to see three people who've been very receptive to God's plan for their life. You know, this past week, um, well, past Sunday, Jayla Hill was baptized. You guys remember that? Amen. That was awesome. You know, then Monday, Patty Key was baptized. And then Wednesday at midweek, Skylar Pitts was baptized. And I thought, man, this is so encouraging to see 
that now these sisters have come together and we're, we're all one in Christ because they were receptive to the message that Paul was trying to teach that Jesus had taught before then. You know, all of us can fall into one of these two categories. We can see our need or we can't see our need, right? Isn't that really the way it is? You know, it can be challenging when you go, man, you know what? I, like, I grew up very religious, and I grew up doing a lot of these things that, you know, people thought, oh, you're such a spiritual person. Nobody knew what was really going on behind the scenes. And so when someone confronted me or approached me about following Christ, it was like, no, 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 I got this. I really thought I did. And it, and, and it took me a while because I, I just like, but I'm God's chosen person. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I was so convinced of it. It wasn't until someone sat down and really showed me the truth of the word, of God's word, that I finally was receptive. You know what? Maybe I missed something. Maybe I missed something. And you've got to believe these Jews were having a hard time accepting that Christ was calling them to this new life when they thought they already had it going on, which I'll talk about in a little bit more. Verse 12, you know, Paul points out five things that the Gentiles were and then we were before Christ. Number one, separated. Separated. They were alienated from the society of Israel. The Gentiles, they were completely alienated from the society of Israel. The name for the people of Israel was Kohagios Leos, which means the holy people. Meaning different or set apart from all other people. Other nations might be governed by a democracy or an aristocracy. But for the Jews, their only king was God. Israel was their theocracy. Their only governor was God himself. Thus the Gentiles were separated. They were different from the Jews. They could not connect because there was such a huge separation. Bible says they were excluded. The Gentiles were excluded from citizenship in Israel. To be an Israelite was to be a member of the society of God. It was to have a Citizenship with the divine. To be a Jew was to have a sense of destiny about your life that no other people even thought this way. So clearly the nation of Israel was different from any other nation. They, ex they excluded the Gentiles from citizenship in Israel because they, they thought this is only for us. It's not for other people. The other word they used is foreigners. The Gentiles were foreigners to the covenants on which God's promises were based. What does this mean? Well, the Jews were the covenant people of God. The Jews believed that God had approached their nation with a special offer. This special covenant was confirmed with the people in Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. We're not going to turn there, but you should write it in your notes. He says, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. This covenant relationship involved not only privilege, but it also, it involved obligation. It wasn't just a privilege, privilege, it was also an obligation. And it involved keeping God's law. In Exodus 24, if you read 1 through 8, you'll see a dramatic picture of how God's people accepted the covenant and its conditions. Specifically in verse 3 and 7, you know, it says, Then Moses went and told the people, of all the Lord's words and the laws, and they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said, 
we will do. If you can imagine all of the Israelites together in one voice, in one unison, saying everything the Lord has said we will do. Then in verse 7 it says that he took the book of the covenant and he read it to all the people and they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. See, in their mind, they had made this decision. The die was cast. They thought, hey, we've already made that decision. How are you going to try to tell us that something's not right in our spiritual walk? Don't you understand the covenant that has been committed to us? Don't you understand what's been part of my life, part of my history for years? So when Paul came in and he's sharing these things, this was, this was heavy stuff. This was heavy stuff. If God's design was to ever be fulfilled, it must be done through a nation. God's choice of Israel was not favoritism. It was not a choice for special honor, but for special responsibility. It gave to the Jews a unique consciousness of being the people of God. The Gentiles were foreign to this type of commitment. They were foreign to this type of covenant. It was not given to them. They did not experience it. Hopeless. The Bible says that the Gentiles were without hope. You know, the Jews had hope of a Messiah. For the Jew, history was always leading somewhere. It was a march to God. Really, no matter what was happening in their life, no matter what they were going through, no matter what difficulty they faced, they knew the end would be glorious. They knew it. You know, so they'd sit around the campfire and they'd tell stories about this warrior-like king who'll come one day and, and, and this kingdom will come and it's going to be awesome. And no matter what we're going through, you've got to stay faithful. And so the Jews had this hope. They were filled with hope even in, the, even in the darkest times. They had this hope. But the Gentiles, the Bible says they were without hope. With the coming of the Christ, the Gentiles entered into a new view of history. They entered into a new view of reality that they too could have hope. That they too could be included. That they too could be a part of that one body of Christ. It was a massive revelation. But they had been without hope. Which then leads to the reason why. The final one is they were without God. Without God, nobody has hope. Without God, we are all just kind of going through the motions. You know, the Bible says that, you know, uh, it talks about a man staggering to the slaughter. We're just walking throughout our life, going from place to place. You're not really going anywhere. You're just staggering to the slaughter. If you're not with God. It's a challenging concept. It's hard to imagine. It was hard for the Jews to imagine. It was easier for the Gentiles to imagine. But as Christians, we got to really look at our life and go, man, what has God given me? And, and man, what an amazing promise I have to be one in Christ. And I think sometimes we can forget. But he wanted them to remember, so he told them to remember those things. Verse 13. This is pretty awesome. Because Christ came on the scene and he wanted to change all of this. He wanted to break through the barriers that hindered us from being chosen, adopted, forgiven, redeemed, sealed, included. He came to get his inheritance and he came to get us because he wanted us to have hope. 
He wanted us to have a relationship with him. He wanted that. In verse 13, I love this passage because it's kind of like the sun breaking through the cloud. If you can imagine, he says all this stuff, and then you can imagine the sun just breaking through the cloud. And he says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. He said, you were once far away, but you've been brought near through the blood of Christ. You know, when we're not Christians, we're far away. We are far away from God. There is a wall. Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2 says that there's a wall that separates us from God, and that is a wall of sin. And that wall has to be broken down, meaning our sins have got to be forgiven. And, and so he says, man, this barrier is broken down in Christ. Isaiah 57, verse 18 and 19. It says, I have seen their ways, but I will heal them. I will guide them and restore comfort to Israel's mourners, creating praise on their lips. Peace, peace to those far and to those who are near. See, when he says in verse 13, those who've been far off have been brought near, he's, he's going back to Isaiah 57, and he's talking about this prophecy that those who are far away and those who are near will experience this peace of God that will allow them to be one in Christ. Despite the hatred, you know, the, despite the hatred the Jews had for the Gentiles, you know, there were, there were Gentiles who desired to be brought near to God by converting to Judaism. When the rabbis spoke about accepting a convert to Judaism, they said he has been brought near. So if, if a Gentile was converted to being a Jew, the rabbis would say, now that you have been converted, you have been brought near to God. So what Paul is saying is now in Christ, we can all be brought near. Now in Christ, all of us can be brought near. And if you've been baptized into Christ, you've been brought near to God. Verse 14, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one. Basically, who has made both Jew and Gentile one. And he's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. This is an even more vivid picture to the Jew. Why? Because this is a picture of the temple. Is there a picture of the temple up here? Okay. <laughs> Missed that last one. Okay. If you see to the left, there's a little bit of wall right there. I don't know if you can see it, but it just kind of cuts off the, the, the bottom corner. And, and, and only the, the Gentiles could not go past that wall. They were not allowed to go past that wall. The Jews could go past that wall. And it says the middle wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. I just wanted you to see that. I don't, I don't know how well you can see it. But this is a vivid picture for the Jew because when he says that, that he uh, destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, he's talking about that wall right there. He's referring to that wall. And historians say that the stone wall in the temple was used as, an, as a barrier with an inscription that basically forbade any foreigner to go in under the pain of death. Basically, you cross that line, you die. You are not allowed in here. If you're a Gentile, if you're not a Jew, don't even think about it. If you do, you will die. And people were literally afraid to do it. And Paul even knew about this barrier because in Acts 21, Acts 21 he was accused 
of letting someone go past that barrier. And because of that, he was put in jail for his final time. So this wall was a very, he understood this concept of this wall. And he understood that this was separating. It was keeping people excluded. It was keeping people who wanted to do what was right possibly, but were not given an opportunity. And the problem of the barrier was just, was not just a Jew or Gentile thing. I mean, excuse me, the, the problem of, of these barriers, it's not just a Jew and Gentile thing, right? We can read about it in Ephesians, we go, wow, this is, this is a serious issue. But it's not just their issue. It's our issue today. Isn't it true? In every generation, there have been barriers. The ancient world was full of barriers. 400 years earlier, before this, Greece and Persia had serious barriers. There was the Scythians and the barbarians. There was the slave and the free. There was the ancient world with all of its barriers. And, and, and then, of course, today, we have barriers all the time. The color of our skin, our socioeconomic status, Democratic or Republican, you know, uh, Air Force or Navy. Well, maybe not. I don't know. We'll see about that one. You know, Panthers fans or Broncos fans, liberal or conservative, Jesus died so we can be one in Christ. He doesn't care about the color of our skin, it's like you all bleed red. That's all that matters. I want you to be one in Christ. Sadly, the most divided day of the week is Sunday. There should be no such thing as an all-white church or an all-black church. There should, unless it's a language issue, it should be divided. The truth is, is all nations should come together. That's God's plan in Matthew 28. That all nations would come together. And this was Jesus' plan. If you have been going to a church that's all-black or all-white, you should probably find a new church. But if you look around here, it's pretty good diversity, right? You're like, wow, this is awesome. This is incredible. I know when I first came to church, I was so blown away. 27 years ago, I'm like, wow. It's very different than what I've experienced. And I thought, you know what? This, this can't even be real. It can't be real. And so I thought, I better come back next Sunday to see if this was just a one-time thing. <laughs> right? And so I'd go to my church, and at that time, the church I was meeting at, we happened to be renting a building just like we're doing. And, uh, and so we had a 2 o'clock service. And so I'd go to my church at 10 in the morning, all white people, and then I'd go to, uh, to this church at 2, and every Sunday I'd be like, wow, it's so different. It's so amazing. I can't believe everyone just seems so, like they love each other. Like, why do they love each other so much? I mean, I don't even know anybody in my church except for a couple people. And I've been there for... At that point, 19 years. And I was blown away. You see, barriers are still in our lives. And Jesus came to break down those barriers. It's not just a Jew and Gentile thing. It's Christ's plan that barriers be destroyed. God's plan is for us to be one in Christ. How did he destroy the barriers? Verse 15. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two by making peace. You see, God had a very clear purpose. He said, I'm going to send my son. I can see there's massive divisions. I can see there's major barriers. 
People may even be receptive to God, but because of the barriers, they're not getting opportunities. So he sent Christ. He said, my plan, I'm going to make them all one in Christ. That was, that was one of the purposes that Jesus had, was to create in himself one new man from two. When two people are at odds, they need someone to mediate them for them, for them right? I mean, if my wife and I get in a bump, I had a, a person call me the other day, and they're like, hey, really going through a rough time in my marriage. I think I really need someone to help us. You know, and I've been down that road. You know, I know, I have been, you know, you may go, oh, Stephen Shaw, or Stephen Charles. Amazing marriage. Well, I think it is, okay? But if you would have been around for the first two years, you would have been like, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are they? You know what I'm saying? You'd be like, what's happening? Man, we were getting people in there all the time, and still to this day we get people in our life, and, and we would be stupid not to, because we need that, right? But when you get invite someone in your life to help you, you want someone who loves you, right? You want someone who you, who, who you believe trusts you and that you trust, someone who's fair, someone who's just, someone who's honest, someone who's not going to show favoritism. You see... God's plan through the church is he would be that one to reconcile. That Jesus would be the one to reconcile us. There would be no favoritism shown. There would be no, you know, you're this or you're that and you can make more money so you get this priority or you get this because, you know, you're more zealous and you're more fired up. No, the Bible says that we all are important in the body of Christ. Every single person, and we'll talk more about that next week, but I did want to say that... His purpose was that we be one in Christ. Amen. One in Christ. How did Jesus abolish in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations? The cross. You know, it's inspiring when, uh, when we have communion every week. And someone gets up here and they share about what the cross has meant to them. Yeah. You know, it was great to see Warren sharing his heart and seeing, and the cross has changed his life. Yeah. You know... It's the cross. It's the incredible love. It's the incredible sacrifice that was made so that we can have peace with God. That was what Jesus was trying to do through the cross. See, the law had been worked into a hundred of, a hundreds and hundreds of commandments and decrees. And the Jews believed that only by keeping the Jewish law was a man good and able to attain any type of fellowship with God. But the truth is, is the Jewish religion was, was characterized by hands having to be washed in a certain way, dishes having to be cleaned in a certain way, all kinds of Sabbath laws, sacrificial laws. The only one who really sought to really fully keep those laws and failed all the time was the Pharisees. It was a religion based on all kinds of rules and regulations about sacred rituals, sacrifices, and days. And really, it could never have a universal appeal to the average person. It was just too exclusive, and it was too difficult, and there was too many rules and regulations for anyone to connect at a hard level. But Romans 10 verse 4 says, you know, that Christ is the end of the law. When Christ came, he said, no more of this. This is crazy. Let me narrow it down. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws. Let me narrow it down to two, Matthew 22, 37 and 40. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the rest of the hundreds, they just hang on those two. So let me make it simplified. Jesus didn't come to make a relationship with God something difficult. His goal was it would be one in Christ. And so because of that, he tried to make it as simple as he could. And although it was simple for us, it wasn't simple for him because he had to go to the cross. And he had to suffer. And he had to die in a brutal, brutal way. But because of that, we have a chance to be saved. Jesus' approach was an approach based on love versus laws. He knew that would have a universal appeal. It was an approach to God based on peace versus prejudice. He knew that would have a universal appeal. It was an approach to God based on grace versus regulations. He knew that we needed the grace of God. He knew that we needed the gospel of grace to help us get past the times when we make mistakes, when we blow it, when, when, we're, when we realize, man, I really hurt Christ. That the grace of God could then teach us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live an upright and godly life in this present age. See, he knew they need grace. They need peace. They need love. Rules and regulations put up fences that separate mankind. But Jesus' sacrifice on the cross destroyed that barrier. Jesus brought to man a religion whose foundation is peace. Jesus knew only love would unify even the most hostile enemies. The only way a Jew and a Gentile were ever going to get in the same room and not say, hey, you just made my house unclean because you came in my room, Gentile. The only way that was ever going to happen is because of Christ. He created one new man out of the two. Meaning in this case, this new word means that Jesus brought into the world a new quality of thing which had never existed before. This type of peace was unheard of before Jesus. It was unheard of. The idea of Jews and Gentiles being one was, an unbel was unbelievable before Christ. You know, one of the preachers of the early church, uh, Christodom, said, It was as if one man had melted down a statue of silver and a statue of lead, and somehow it came out gold. He said that's what it was like. The, 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 taking the Jews and the Gentiles, he goes, it, it was literally like the most bizarre thing. That one would be like a statue of lead, one of silver, and as you melt them together, they would come out as gold. And isn't that really what Christ wants for us? A church where we're completely unified, where we melt down our old life. We forget what our life was like, we leave it in the past, and we say, you know what? I just want to be unified with my brothers and sisters. I just want to be one in Christ going forward. Amen? Amen. Verse 16. It says he reconciled both to God through the cross. The word he used for reconciled is a word used for bringing friends together who have been estranged. Jesus' point in dying was for us to realize that we essentially we're all the same. We're all the same. We're, we're all brothers and sisters, but we've simply been estranged. We've simply been estranged somehow. And, if, and, if, and he knew that if, if I could bring you together, and if you could all kind of look at the Bible, if you could all kind of look at Christ, if you could all see Christ, that you would see the differences aren't as big as you think they are. That you would see the walls are not 
as difficult to overcome as it may feel like. Because Christ came to make us one in Christ, to destroy those barriers, to destroy the walls, so that we would see no color lines. We would just see Christ. Amen? Amen. We can put to death the hostility that separates man from God by becoming a disciple of Christ. You know, in John 13, 34, Jesus says, hey, you know how you're going to know people are Christians? It's by their love for one another. That's it. It's by their love. It's the strongest thing we have as a church. When we have our big Easter service, which I'm looking forward to on the 27th, I'm excited. But you know what? The, the strongest thing we have is not our cool invitations. It's not our cool little plan, which is awesome. It's our love. When people come in and they see you, blacks, whites, Latinos, Asians, you know, tall, short, skinny, not as skinny, you know, uh, old, young, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Hey, when he sees, man, these guys, they love each other. How do they do this? You know, how do they do this? I went to a, a conference one time, it was kind of a religious conference, and, and this guy came up to me from another church, he goes, he goes, I am blown away. And I said, what? He goes, I can't, I can't, my whole life I've wanted to see this, but I come to the church and, and, and I see your church and I see people from every nation meeting together. How did you do that? I've never really thought about it. How did I do it? But if I had to really think about it, I would just say, Christ. We're all one in Christ. And we've realized those barriers that though they appear to be big, they're not so big once we all stand level at the foot of the cross. Once we all stand level at the foot of the cross and we let Christ inspire us, that's our inspiration. It says, through Jesus, both Jew and Gentile can have access to God. The word access is the word used for introducing a person into the presence of a king. Jesus gave us unlimited access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Isn't that awesome? And not just one of us, but literally all of us have unlimited access to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords. We can have a relationship with God with no barriers, no walls, no separation. Because we've made a decision to be one in Christ. The unity in Christ produces Christians whose Christianity transcends all local and racial differences and produces men who are, who are friends, who are at peace with one another because they're at peace with God. In Ephesians 2, verse 17 and 18, just to close it out, Jesus came and preached peace to all, all of us, regardless as to our background. Before Christ, we were far away. Before Christ, we had no peace, if we're honest. Before Christ came to make us all one in Christ, we were lost, and we were divided, and there were walls separating us from a relationship with God. But in Christ, in his church, in his body, we are designed by God to be one in Christ, to give us peace with one another and peace with God. And today I just want to give us one challenge as we walk out of here. One challenge for two different types of people. Remember I said there are two different types of people. Those who see their need 
and those who don't necessarily see their need. For those of us who've already seen our need and we're already disciples, I want to challenge you, if there's someone in the body of Christ, if there's someone even in your life that you are not at one with, because of whatever reason, I want to challenge you this week, ideally by the end of day today, get that worked out. Amen? And for those of us who are visiting and maybe you, know, you haven't made a decision yet to be in Christ, I want to encourage you, get with the person who brought you and sit down and humble yourself. Say, let's open the Bible because I want to be one in Christ.